This is the Bunt, the number one podcast in skateboarding, brought to you by the number one shoe in skateboarding. I'm different anyways. Do you? Do you? I'm different anyways. <laughs> okay, Wheeler? I'm different. So I'd rather stand out than be in the fucking same shit with these guys. My equity is straight out the roof. Assets, the boats. Vans. Off the wall since 1960, motherfucking six. Drop that bitch. And now, live from Studio E, the bunt with Safer and Donovan. I'm D Jones. As always, I got my main man, the ghost, with me, and we got Ants One behind the scenes. It's a cool thing. Ghost. I wait all week for you to tell me how big of an episode we have, man. <laughs> well, let's just say it's a massive episode. You get me. <laughs> We're going with the triple OG, Anthony Korea, one of my favorite skaters growing up. His part in uh, Mixtape 2, just a classic to me. Watch that a billion times. Uh, best style, great trick selection. And uh, a really nice guy. So dope interview. Hyped to, for the people to hear this one. Then we take you know straight to the post office. Got some nice voice notes. Some little kids hollering, you know what I'm saying, with their pops. Um, some really good questions this week that had us thinking. And then, shit, we reacting to Sunday games. Barn burning fucking rundown, you get me. The people have spoken. They don't want us recording the rundown prior to the NFL games on Sunday anymore. They've seen enough. The Buffalo undefeated <laughs> segment put people over the edge. That's it. It's over. No more rundown before Sunday night. Um, this week, you don't think Michael Irvin, the playmakers in the building, because we watching all the games and then we reacted live. Or not live, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Bro, After the games. I actually died when the Bills lost because we, for, for whatever reason, we just recorded. Like, did we record that morning before the games? Like, it I just, believe so, it yeah. Made, it made no sense because we used to record after the Sunday night games or maybe Monday morning or something. So we're back to that. It makes way more sense. And then we look less like fools, especially because it comes out on Wednesday. It's like everyone's already moved on. It's very late. And then yeah. we're talking about, like, free sunday anyways um the fucking bills though man 91 offensive plays i've literally had it up to here with people not kicking the field goals yeah like, a lot of that this year for fuck's sakes this goddamn analytic talk man like you know all these fourth and fours fourth and threes you guys are pushing it for like listen yo just take the three points save it for just the run take down. the three points if you guys heard michael oh. irvin go off uh, after the Cowboys week three win, I'm going to attempt my own Michael Irving style rant to open up the rundown. So stay tuned for that. It's probably going to be an epic failure. But anyways, what He's else is pop? Loses G? breath. <laughs> yell a little too loud. 
Great hairs might pop out. You're going you're gonna to get it all this week in the rundown because we for the people and we owe the people after that Sunday morning debacle last week. Man. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on Instagram at The Bunt Live. Subscribe to us on YouTube at The Bunt Live. Hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash The Bunt. And then our website, thebuntlive.com. We about to reload the web shop. We have all the episodes up there logged for your listening pleasure. Let me tell you, there are some greats you could go back and listen to again. Fred Gall, Current Caples, P-Rod back in season one. There's all sorts of them if you guys want to listen again. They're still there. Ghost, a big, big part dropped this week, man. A big part. One of our one of our good friends, a founding father of the bunt, season one. You gonna shout him out? <laughs> you better. Oh. No pressure. <laughs> uh, way to way to keep the suspense going as if it wasn't obvious. Bobby D, Bobby the Kaiser, young goon in the game, uh, turning into a, a grown man before our very eyes. You know what I'm saying? Doing a big with this boy Ben Shadorn. Uh, what what else can I say? Whenever Bobby puts something out, you find the nearest screen and you watch that shit right away. Uh, he never ceases to to you know keep you guessing with what he's gonna do. Uh, his bag of tricks is flawless, and uh, go watch that shit if you haven't. And if you have, go watch it again. Bobby doing it big for T Dot. Favorite trick? Favorite trick in that part? Oh, I fucking loved his switchback nose grind up the stairs, and then the, the slow mo right away like that. That edit was yeah very clean. But I also loved his kickback nose grind, chilling, to, and then big flip on flat. Man, he's got a kickflip like fucking. No oh, else, his kickflip up the stairs in that one line too. I think before, and then he does a front blunt. What was yours? For me, I really liked uh, the Nolly 180 switch Manny and then switch back heel down the double. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I was digging that clip. Looked good. Fast, as usual. Oh. And then back tail 270 was obviously perfect. Dude, one um, clip that's probably like, would probably break our brains if we went to the spot was the Ollie and then back heel the flat gap. I watched that a bunch oh. of times and I'm like, yo, he had to land with his feet in a back heel. And like you see the car go by, it's more than a car length. Like that, yeah, that's probably some shit that like we would be scared to ollie ollie. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, there was another trick like that where he does ollie up and then nollie 180, fakey manny. Yeah. He ollies into the nollie, which is his brain's just bigger than ours, man. <laughs> yeah, he's built different, as they say. Yes, sir. Bobby the Kaiser, make sure you give that at least two, three, maybe four or five views, man. So like we said, this week, the legend, Anthony Correa, there goes that legend word again, in the building, but he deserves it. There's only one thing left to do before we get into the interview. We're going to order up some pizza. After last week, I reminded myself why it's named the way it is. I'm going with a large Frank's Best baby what do you got well i'm gonna have a couple slices of your pie and then i'm gonna <laughs> top it off with a bodega sub two pounds of chicken wings 
maybe some fucking Canada dry, and of course some chocolate chip cookies to wash it all down. Oh, you see that new dessert they dropped this week? It's like a homemade Joe Louis on steroids. Damn. Episode one, I said I'm skinny again, but after this week, it might not be true anymore. (laughs) Maddie Matheson, tell them what they get when they order Maker Pizza. This is literally the best pizza in the world. All right, let's get this interview popping. All right, we've got Anthony Korea in the building today. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Back on the East Coast for a hot minute. Decided to stop inside Studio E, man. Thanks for being here. No problem. Thanks for having me. So we start every show off the same. Hit us with your favorite skate moment and your favorite sports moment. Wow. My favorite skate moment would probably be that day that Josh just like annihilated the Banks wall and just being there in person and watching him rifle off tricks over the Banks wall. I think it was like a couple different weekends, but like one particular day he was just like, that was a pretty awesome skate moment to witness. You know what I mean? But out of like the, mm-hmm. the plethora of like incredible skateboarding that I've seen, I mean, it's so hard to pick a favorite, you know? Mm-hmm. Josh Kalis? Yeah, Josh Kalis. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So what about favorite sports moment? Your sports guy? 86 Mets, dude. Yeah. When's that coming back around, dude? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that hasn't been a thought in my mind in a very long time, but I remember that was a, a huge deal when I was a kid. The 86 Mets. It was fucking nuts. So take us back to the beginning. Where'd you grow up and how'd you get into skating? I grew up in uh, Red Bank or Linkroft Red Bank area in New Jersey, which is like, I guess you would consider it down the shore is what people call it around here. It's like where the shore points in New Jersey start. Yeah, so I grew up down there. And um, I started skating, probably an answer that's like common, uh, Back to the Future, man. That's that's why I started skating. Um, I was a very young kid and, uh, that was like first exposure to like skateboarding on like looking cool level to me. Like not, I mean, I'm not in Jersey. You didn't see skateboarding when it was in California. We didn't really like see that kind of shit. Um, so being like, I don't know, six, five or six, or was 84 it came out. I was like six years old. Uh, that was super cool. He was like hitching uh, on a car and then like popped his board up. And it just was like really cool. Something I didn't, we kind of all, me and my cousins were like, oh, it was so sick. We're getting skateboards, like whatever the fuck, you know? Um, so yeah, I started skating like then. And it was kind of, it was interesting because I, when it, where I lived in New Jersey, it was like a, uh, it was like kind of a subdivision for condos or whatever it was this place called cherry tree village and it was like kind of nice i mean whatever it was there were like kids that skated there they were like older and like at the beginning of the neighborhood there was this uh quick check which is like a mini mart type spot i don't know what you'd compare it to in toronto but um it's called a quick check and like people skated there like they skated the curbs they skated the parking lot people like hung out there on friday nights and these are like all older kids i'm like seven eight ish but i remember being like being exposed to like actual skateboarding instead of just like 
I'm a little kid, we, here I go on a skateboard. Like, I, I, we would go up to the front of the neighborhood and you'd see, like, real dudes skating. Like, even, like, some sponsor dudes um, from back then, which I didn't understand what that was back then. But I remember there was this one dude that, like, skated for Toxic and he could, like, ollie real high. So I was kind of exposed <laughs> to, like, real skating as, like, most people at that time in my area that were my age would have just, yeah, back to the future. And then you buy a Walmart board and you're like, ride it for a minute. And you're like, whatever, you know, fad in and out. But like, I would see all these people all the time. So like I started getting interested in skateboarding outside of just the, the that eighties fad. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Cause these, these dudes were ripping. Like they, they had lawn tramps, they movie theater next door. They had, they were like wall riding shit. And I was like, this is crazy, dude. This is so sick. Um, so yeah and then like one of my neighbors that was like a couple houses over he uh he was like an older older dude and he skated so like we would skate you know what I mean and like I eventually got like a regular board and kind of just went from there yeah but I was super young dude like I, I was uh yeah that was the 80s man so lawn tramps and power slides and <laughs> so sick you know big Dudes were ollieing high and like skating the curbs then too. Like I, I was just like super interesting, not knowing anything about skating. Not really. There's no exposure. Like today, it's like fucking everywhere. So like yeah. you know about skateboarding and you don't skate. You know what I mean? Like you kind of still have an idea of what it's about and like what it is. Like then it was like, what the fuck? This is like these dudes are riding on the fucking wall right now. Like this is insane. You know. Uh, yeah a little different back then yeah no totally I mean it was all new kind of new to me so what would you consider was your first big break in the skate industry like I I had a a wheels of fortune that was like kind of a big thing back then like 411 had just like started kind of I think my my wheels of fortune was in like the first series number nine or something like that yeah man number nine yeah and that was like kind of like such a huge deal then to like even have footage in that you know everybody would look forward to that shit so yeah i mean that was kind of like my first recognition outside of like just the crews i would roll with you know Mm -hmm. so you're coming up on the east coast at the time learn how to skate in jersey um but then at what point did you move to Houston and how was that switching skate scenes like that at an early age? Oh, dude, I went, I moved to Houston freshman year of high school. So, um, that was complete culture shock number one. But, uh, in Jersey up to eighth grade, like I would, you know, I'd skate with the kids that I knew in my neighborhood that were like good from our township and stuff and like i'd see freddie sometimes and then i I move i moved to uh bricktown new jersey the year before i moved to texas so i lived right by like one of the only indoor parks in jersey um so before i moved that was a cool scene like you know i every weekend i'd be at that park i'd see like all kinds of different dudes that would come into town and then uh i'd see freddie there a lot uh ricky iola so i was like kind of like getting more into the scene in jersey right before i moved 
Right. And then I moved to to Houston. I didn't know anybody, so um, that was like it was kind of like a six month period where I didn't really I didn't really skate with anybody. Like I moved there at the beginning of the summer before freshman year. I didn't know. I mean, this is a totally different landscape. I mean, it's all like a driving city. Mm-hmm. You're, you're like little subdivisions, and it's like really confusing. Um, so it wasn't really like I could just like venture out and just go skate by myself. Um, I could like in the na- like in in an area that was close enough, but that was like fucking nothing there, you know. And then I I started school. I started freshman year. There was one kid that skated in my school that I like eventually met, you know, and we like ended up skating a few times. Um, he introduced me to this other kid that had a car that skated and started skating with him, and he was friends with R.B. Umali. And then it's all forever ago, so I don't really know how you know how that happened. But it just the the kid that I was skating with ended up kind of getting out of it, and he wasn't really into it too much, but he liked to hang out. He had the car, you know, whatever. So then, like once I started. Once I met RB and like those dudes, I was kind of like, these are kind of the dudes that I'm, I'm gonna spend my time with. You know what I mean? They're like really into skating, like progressing at you know a similar rate, I guess. Sick. Tell us a little bit about the skate park of Houston and how special that place was. Oh, it was like it was super, super interesting scene compared to like I didn't. They always had that, I guess. So like I moved there and they were like, that was already like this thing, you know. When I moved there, it's where like everybody would meet. I mean, back then skate parks were pretty rare. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna. Which skate park do you want to go to today? It's just like <laughs> you didn't really fucking have <coughs> have that luxury. So the skate parks. I mean, I'm sure this is in every everywhere. Like the skate park was like the hub of that culture. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I I didn't go to the skate park in Houston until like. I think it would probably be till I met RB and them, and then like, you know, you know, actually, I did go there once by myself. I did go there one time, and I had my mom drop me off there, and yes. uh, classic, leave, yeah, like, like new city, like fucking just leave me there for hours, fucking skated all day, like it was cool. I don't think I really met too many people that time, and then I linked up with RB after that, and those dudes would go there all the fucking time. So, but yeah, that's like, that was kind of like the heart of the scene, you know what I mean? In, in Houston, when I'm looking back, I, like I hated moving to Houston, but looking back, I'm like super thankful because it was like opened up like a whole new perspective on things when I was really kind of living in like small town, New Jersey. So Ricky Oyola visited Houston after watching the Houston retrospective and he put oh, you on yeah. New York flow at the time. How'd that all go down? So I already knew Ricky prior to that as a little kid. Okay. From the skate park. So when he came to Houston, and, and like, I was really good friends with, uh, like, uh, everybody at South Shore. I think he kind of did that through South Shore, maybe, a little bit. So he stayed with me. He came and stayed with me at my oh, parents' sick. house, actually. Yeah. Sick. And, yeah, we skated the whole time. I think at the time I was, like, more, like, thinking that I was going to skate for, like, planet Earth at the time and then ricky came and uh planet earth which was becoming rhythm at the time i guess 
I had spent a lot of time with those guys, but then Ricky came down, we skated the whole time, and he was like, hey, you want to you get boards from Zoo? And I was like, you know, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course I would say, that, yeah. It was kind of not like a, hey, you you want to, you know, ride for Zoo. It was kind of like, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to go home and I'm going to send you boards or whatever. And then kind of just was on. At some <laughs> not point. much of a question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't like... Things were different. Like it was just like a different time. Like there were no like written rules to anything. It was like Ricky kind of just was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna send you boards when I get back." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm down." And that was how that started. And then like I would talk to Rodney because of you know the connection. Like I would have to actually like call them to get to get my boards. You know what I mean? So I I think uh, Ricky just kind of like set it up to where they knew to like hook me up and shit sick but i hadn't i hadn't met them yet like i hadn't met rodney or eli or adam at that point for one chance just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom that quote from the famous movie Braveheart was brought to you by CHPO Brand. Always doing it for the people. So we talked about him a little bit already. RBU Molly played a big role in, in your skate career and coming oh, up yeah. in Houston and stuff. Tell us a little bit about that meeting RB for the first time and your guys' relationship through your career. So I it would be hard to pinpoint the first time that I met RB, but it was just like, kind of like we linked up through a, a mutual friend. And then like, he kind of wasn't, I mean, he wasn't really like skating the way that we were. Um, so I kind of gravitated towards RB and like the crew of kids he had around him at the time. Just from there, like, obviously like my best friend, you know, skated with him more than anyone probably I have ever Uh, to this day I mean I I was skating with him a couple weeks ago but yeah we met through a mutual friend and like I think RB at the time was already like yeah he was he was like kind of filming stuff but he was also like ripping most people don't know that RB was like really really kind of killing it filming and skating and uh he was sponsored too um we skated for a company called Screw Skateboards, which was kind of an epic roster, but it was like a company out of New Jersey that uh, this dude that owned a shop that I went to back in the day, he like started this board company. And um, I think me and me and RB maybe, like I like sent him sponsor me tapes because we wanted to get boards. And like, I was like kind of knew the dude and he like would hook me up with discounts before I moved to Texas. And I guess either way, me and RB like got on this company called Screw Skateboards, and then another friend of ours, Forrest Kirby, we were like, we we're like, we we're like, Forrest, send him a sponsor me tape, like we'll get you on, like or whatever. And then Forrest got on too. So, but the roster was insane. Looking back, it was like it was Jimmy Chung, this guy Jim Menser, Kenny Hughes, Ooh. me, me, Forrest. RB and a, this vert skater Darren Mendito. Yeah, so that was a. There's a video too. 
VHS. What? Probably like the most limited production um, <laughs> ever. I think RB has it on his Vimeo, to be honest. Damn, we gotta peep that. Sick. Yeah, we should. Uh, we should have him release that. I think maybe Mark Nardelli was on it too. Uh, Mark Nardelli, he's he's behind Farm Five Barrel these days. He was actually one of the first dudes that I met that was like actually good at skating at that quick at that quick check in that first neighborhood that I was talking oh, about. Oh shit. Sick. Yeah. With the high ollies. <laughs> no, he no, that that was this dude named Jim Reese. So Arby moved to NYC to study at NYU. You visited him during his first year crashing on his couch where you filmed for the Transworld video and solidified your spot on Zoo. What was it like being back in, in New York at that time? Yeah, that summer, I think, was because I was skating for Zoo. So, like, when I came to visit him, we were, like, going to the zoo office. You know what I mean? Like, we, uh, I'm pretty sure that's, like, when our, how RB linked up with those dudes in the first place. Is like, I had came to stay, and, like, I was skating for Zoo. We were going to the office. I was going to, like, meet these dudes and, like, hang out or whatever. And they realized right away that RB was like, I mean, they probably already knew that RB was filming, like they had seen my footage and stuff from Texas and shit like that. So like, they already knew RB was like, you know, he was doing his thing. He was going to film school and like, they were like, you know, obviously it was a good connection, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was, I think I was pretty much on zoo at that point. So yeah, we kind of had our introduction to all those dudes at the same time. Who was on the team at that time? It's hard to say because Zoo had like this ever evolving. No. So Rick, Serge, and Matt Reason kind of like did their own thing under Zoo, but it was just like kind of those dudes. So it was like, I think they were doing Illuminati at the time, and I was like staying with the Zoo thing, you know? Right. Uh-huh. Um, that was kind of like more Philly dudes and uh, Rick had got me on but I was like that wasn't really my scene and like once I kind of linked up with these dudes in New York I was kind of like you know that's Rick's thing and this or I'm going to stay doing this you know the uh, Zoo York mixtapes were iconic videos to say the least did the writers have much say in the artists they got paired with for their parts I didn't have any say in it i mean not that i wanted say in it i mean we didn't even know what we were doing like the thing is is about like mixtape one is pretty much like as organic of a production as you could get because we didn't like film that video Mm. like we weren't working on this video like this was just like every day this is that was like the culmination of what we were doing at the time you know what i mean like Obviously, we were filming. We didn't know what we were filming for. It could have been for 401. It could have been whatever. You know what I mean? We were just, this is like our life. This is what we're doing. We, we like, I had no idea. Like, mixtape wasn't something until it was something. You know, you know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. like, it was never like, oh, yeah, I want to save this trick for my part. or blah, blah, blah. You know, it was like, just like, this is what we have. And this is what we've been doing, you know? And then it was edited and made into the masterpiece that it was you know what i mean like you know you had geniuses doing their thing you know the art direction from eli is always on point and then rb's filming and editing like it was just it just the perfect storm and we had 
although we didn't like film for it, we had so much uh, content available, you know, to use. Instant classic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, I I think that's what's that's something that makes it special too. Is like it kind of comes through, and it's not like a, a premeditated type of skating in it. You know what I mean? It's like you, it kind of shines through to me. Maybe because I that you know I, I understand that, but it wasn't like contrived. Like there was no just organic as it could be. You know, the, from the skating mm-hmm. to like what it became. Like oh, we have this footage from stretch of libido and like Eli holding on to that like all this stuff was just like you know melded together into uh, the cult classic that it is <laughs> yeah Hell yeah I and you know honestly at the time I like I don't think any of us really re- realized for years into it like that how much people really were into that video you know because, you know, from a straight skate perspective, even myself at the time, I was like, the videos that I was seeing were like, you know, you got all the handrail stuff and like all like just totally different type of thing that, I, you know, I was surprised people, you know, gravitated towards it so much. That, you know. Not everyone can relate to the big rails and shit, though. Well, no, I mean, I'm just saying, like, this the direction of skate videos at yeah. that time. No, yeah, I feel you. You know, like, it was, it was like, bigger, better, you know. It was, like, we were getting to that stage where it was, like, you know, the more stairs you count and the more, the better it is and shit like that, you know. Like, and we were, like, mm-hmm. kind of just skating. Like, that's what it was. It was just our skating. Like, this is what we do. This is what we like to do. This is what we do every day. And uh, the other side of it was, like, oh, you know, like, find a handrail go skate it <laughs> i don't know just at that time it was just such a different take on skateboarding and like i didn't realize that people would get it the way that they did yeah you know? i think that's probably why though it's just more relatable sometimes when you see those super gnarly parts that are so far away from like your own ability or like yeah. fear factor that you can handle sometimes you just want to watch something that makes you want to go skate because it's more relatable feel like those right. videos did a, a great job with that and it, i mean just the feeling of the video and the, and the music was super you know good super on point and yeah it was just edited well and like just just the whole th- the production wasn't like overblown or overdone or yeah they don't make them like that anymore right <laughs> no nope. so a couple years later you turned pro for zoo york did they surprise you with that news or did you just kind of see it coming I knew ahead of time. And, I, and also, that we were, like, doing stuff with the concaves at the time. So, like, I totally knew that I wanted my board to be on a different concave. So, like, we knew that we were going to have boards coming out on that series. Um, mm. Because prior to that, Zoo had been had these concaves that were, like, super steep, like, di- dish concaves. Um, and I was never able to skate those. So, like, I... W- was very intent on having a like mellowed out concave brought in before I had my board. (laughs) And I think, I think Chris, Chris Keefe was the same way. He was like totally behind that too. So I'm with, I'm with you on those, man. I like that flatter shit. Interesting. Uh, so like the first four years that I rode for zoo, I didn't ride zoo boards. Damn. I, I just couldn't, do what i wanted to do like i'm super super picky about boards i always have been like just certain 
things don't it's not that they don't work it's just like it's not fun to like compensate for for like a skateboard for me or whatever you know so i was always super picky about that i knew what i liked and like zoo boards were super steep and like i mean this was not like a secret or anything like i just couldn't ride zoo boards and we were always like on the expectation of like all right we're gonna get a flat concave and it never like came to fruition so um dude i rode i think i rode girl and alien boards for the first four years and just like um you know either took the graphics off or covered them with stickers and stuff these dudes would like send boxes to the distributor and like i would just they would keep the boards and i would take like different boards <laughs> right gotta do what you gotta do i actually had an ad, i've had an ad the graphic is superimposed <laughs> <laughs> your mixtape two part is one of my favorite parts of all time i love the track with the grand prix and i know you guys are trying to like recreate the magic of the first and it might be blasphemous to say it but or maybe it's just because of our age group but i like the second one more than the first uh but how fun was filming for that part i've never had like nobody ever talks about the mixtape too <laughs> like no one's ever like talked to me about mixtape too yeah I, I don't know our friend noah t legend out here he had mixtape too and it just ended up at my dad's house and we'd always have sleepovers there because it was closer to the skate park and we just like destroyed that vhs that's dope though like mixtape two was sick I mean, we actually filmed for that video. Like that was a, I was like, Hey, we're going to make another video. I feel like I actually worked harder. We all put more into that, like filming parts for that. Like, like we knew what we were trying to get out of it. I put a lot into that part. I feel like, but yeah, that video, mixtape two was great. And like, I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. Like Zared's part was so insane. Like with like young Zared's part was really, uh, really crazy in that video it's like any movie it's it's hard to fucking get the same magic twice but depending on when you started skating like i saw that one first like that was just you did oh yeah 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 like the first one came out before i started skating you know i think those guys tried to make it different but the same you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like it wasn't completely just another fabrication of mixtape one it was like kind of like updated a bit and like but yeah i mean it didn't have the same effect obviously maybe it was expected so like people compared it i don't know yeah after you turned pro zoo did a u.s and europe tour do you have any stories from those trips oh dude like a million every day was a story with zoo crew man (laughs) one of the europe trips so we're i think we're going from like france to germany or maybe the other way around we're doing it on a train i mean we none of us were really at that time like traveled extensively in europe so like the trains are different than they are here but you know we were on like a a overnight train you're gonna sleep there or whatever and like the bar car was like further down me and a couple other dudes and i think harold too and we had like journeyed further into the back of the train and like found these like college kids that were like on a trip to europe and like drinking partying with these kids but little did we know at the time that the fucking train separated while we were on it so so like while this train is going it just like 
de-links from the rest of the train and like hooks onto another engine and just fucking goes in a totally different direction. But Jeff Pang, who's the team manager at the time, and maybe some other dudes that weren't with it, maybe like a photographer or somebody, I don't remember who was exactly on that trip, but they were on another train and they had all of our shit. They had everything, like our passports, all of our stuff. So we're just like... We're now part of this fucking like school trip to Europe, um, and we're, we're Jeff's on another train, and uh, we're like, "Fuck!" Like we don't know what we're gonna do. We're just gonna hang with these people. We're freaking out. We, I mean, we don't have anything. Like, yeah, th- this isn't like a digital age where we could like even figure this out. We just don't have our shit, and we're gonna be pretty fucked. But it ends up, we ended up getting to the train station wherever this was. We pull up on that train. We're like, we get out. We're like getting out of the train, and we see Jeff pull up in the other train. It was like directly on the other track, so it was like comical. And he's like pulling up, and he sees us fucking standing there, and he's so pissed off, (laughs) throwing all of our all of our baggage off of the train at us and shit. Wait, so both trains ended up going to the same place though? We ended up yeah, we didn't. we didn't get there at the same exact time. I think we got in like 15 minutes before his train did. Um, and we're like unloading, like getting off of the train, like looking around and saw our other train like literally roll up and like Jeff getting off of the train. And we're like, fuck, no way. This is crazy. Like, he's so mad. <laughs> so that, that could have been way worse. Just ended up in different countries. <laughs> you were teammates with some undoubtable legends on Zoo York going to name a few and then just tell us the first thing or story that comes to mind when you hear their name. Uh, okay. Harold Hunter. Harold. Um, you start with the dude that has like every story. You know <laughs> what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Harold was just such a funny, like charismatic character that like anywhere we went. Um, what's a funny Harold story? I mean, just the way that he, like, his perspective on the world and the way that he looked at things. You know, like, he had his own... I mean, uh, a friend of mine, Dave, who, who used to work for Zoo, he had a book of Harold quotes. So, like, oh. you know... Yeah, I mean, this should be published. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, it would just be like... you know, It would be the little things. Like, we would go to... Like, say we were at a diner. I remember we were at a diner one time. This is, like, early zoo trips. And he was, like, the, the you know, he's looking at the menu. And the and the, the waitress comes over and she's, like, you know, she's, like, well, you know, he want to get two eggs any style or whatever. And she's, like, well, okay, how, how do you want your eggs? And he's, like, any style. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just, like... <laughs> And like be to- he's be totally serious too, you know what I mean? Like, cause he's not at the time used to ordering eggs, you know what I mean? He's just like ordering egg and cheese at a deli or whatever. Like, so he's looking at this menu. It says any style. He's like, oh, I'll order this, you know. Uh, you know, so he just looked at things differently, you know. Um, That's true. Seeing him turn it on at anywhere we would go, really like special, dude. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of people like Harold that could like you know turn it on and light up a room the way he would do or like a demo or like yeah he would just any you know he's always always just skating no matter what he was just a, a one of the most charismatic people Legend. that's that's like 
yeah, just total legend, just total nonstop comedy. You know, sometimes he could be a lot to deal with when you're around 24 hours a day. <laughs> but that was that was endearing as well. You know what I mean? When looking back, it's yeah, like, for sure. All right, what about Billy Rohan? I mean, he obviously switched hard for the Tampa Pyramid with uh, blindfolded, <laughs> um, which was insane. <laughs> I forgot about that, uh, so thanks for that. Billy was sick. Quim Cardona. Just any trip with Quim and a melodica or an instrument, I mean, that's a story in itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... Um, I remember going on uh, at pretty much any trip that I went on with Quim, he had some sort of instrument. And like at the time when he was on Zoo, I think it was more melodica. But yeah, mm-hmm. dude, super talented dude. Uh, always doing his own thing, man. Quim time, you know. That's what's up. All right, last but not least, Zared Bassett. He's a man, dude. Stories on Zared, like I remember when Zared actually, like the first day that I ever met Zared was on a zoo trip and like he was literally getting in the van with us to go on like the rest of a zoo trip. I think he was like 15 years old. He had like a little like kind of like a hat mullet type, you know, hockey cut and he was just like a little ripper and we had heard that they, they like used to call him like the rodeo ranger because he like did rodeo flips over this prop at uh whatever that park was but yeah Zara, I, I remember that day like it, like we kind of hit it off right away because i so i was always a young dude you know what i mean i was always around a lot of older dudes so i, I always tried to like whenever there was a younger person like I, I i tried to be cool to them because they need that i know that because i was always the right. younger dude so like when Zared like came on tour and like i got to know him a little bit it was really cool we ended up spending a lot of time together that first trip and becoming like pretty good friends and he was like you know a lot younger but he was uh he was he was old older for his age if that makes Mm. any sense you know what i mean like he didn't he didn't take shit from anybody (laughs) you know like he was uh he was like a big big little man you know i remember meeting him the first time and being like pretty impressed on like how he carried himself as such a young dude you know for sure so city of killers the zoo york video is about to drop but your footage gets pulled and you get taken off the cover of the video because you leave zoo york (laughs) for expedition uh what was behind that decision man yeah that's that's funny uh yeah that city of killers was like all of our tour stuff and i remember seeing that I remember seeing the video cover with me on it. Though it's funny when I saw when I saw it without it. Um, no, actually, like this was during like the Echo years of Zoo, and um, you know I had some some disagreements with like some of the Echo higher ups on like what things were about and like my place or whatever. You know, like kind of kind of getting like some image shaping type of you know direction from from people that shouldn't have been giving it to me you know what i mean and i just mm-hmm. wasn't i was never a person that was like you know like you need to be more this or that like i was just like this is you know that's not part of what i do you know so you know like having those kinds of like that kind of like friction i guess maybe they weren't gonna re-sign my contract so 
you know, I was basically like not on zoo anymore. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, I was just like, you know, which is, which was like, it sucked. Like the whole, the way the whole zoo shit went down was like unfortunate because it didn't have to be that way. You know, like Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, it wasn't like zoo needed to get rid of riders to like, you know, like, or I don't know, just the way they kind of tried to reshape it kind of ruined what we had been doing, you know? They had an idea for what they wanted it to be like. I think that kind of overshadowed what, you know, Rodney, Adam, and Eli wanted and had planned for the brand. Mm-hmm. And like, I could see that early on. So like, yeah, I, I was basically I, I was basically not getting re-signed to, uh, to Zoo, which was like crazy because it was like, you know, this was like a family type ordeal, you know? Being that I was on Zoo from being super, you know, very young, we were all very close. It was like more of a family than like a business type situation, you know? Yeah. And just the way we built things, you know, it was all together. So when they like took the reins and started making, you know, decisions, you know, it just it kind of tarnished everything anyway. But yeah, at the time, I, you know, I was talking to Danny and I think I was like, yeah, I don't know who I'm going to ride for, but, you know, I, um, and he, um, he linked me up with Troy Morgan and Troy Morgan was down to like do the expedition thing and Ryan Gallant was on and I, I was like you know this could be this could be cool and uh, those dudes were super cool and uh, I, I got with expedition and um, I rode for them, with them for like a year and a half almost maybe two years maybe close to two years which was a good experience and, and yeah it was uh, it was more Cali type situation you know it was different going to california to like see the dudes that you work with and stuff like that it was like just a totally different vibe it was like nothing after i left zoo nothing was really like that no matter what it was and what i was doing it wasn't it wasn't uh it just didn't feel have the same feeling you know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. of course it, you know when you do something from very young you put a lot of work into it and you're kind of just like your whole everything's tied to that you know what i mean like it's just like i don't know expedition was a good experience but it just didn't feel like something that was gonna turn into anything else other than like that short period of time you know right video came out too i mean uh, they we did i think we did like there was like one ko video that had like all the had dgk expedition and uh yeah organic organica i think yeah the ko video the ko promo Um, that had like some some stuff that I liked that I filmed in Houston in it. I mean, it was pretty cool. Britney Spears, I think, was the choice they used for the expedition part. I don't I don't know how much I agreed with with that choice, but uh, it kind of worked. I rewatched it today. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, yeah, I mean, it was all right. <laughs> you know, not not a lot went into that either. You know what I mean? Like that was just like what what I had had at the time, and I, and I think that that kind of like expedition was like in a weird uh kind of like a limbo status at that point you know there wasn't much direction to what expedition was going to be you know and i kind of there wasn't really much much for me to like get behind like there was no like identity to it so to speak you know yeah it was just kind of a another board brand you know like i i felt like i i liked what they were doing with organica more at the time than what we were doing with expedition you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it it just was kind of uh, it felt it it didn't feel like it didn't like the team wasn't coercive. You know what I mean? Like it didn't really make sense. It wasn't like a slapping some names together, just like <laughs> the guys who weren't on DGK or Organica. Right. I mean, it kind of seemed like that. I mean, it did make sense. It was like me and Richard Angelitas have been friends for, for years and years. Like, to that dude's super sick. Shani, I've been friends with Shani for years. Like, I knew these dudes through, plan- like, the Planet Earth days and, like, um, going to San Diego back then from Texas and stuff. So, like, we definitely did have a connection, but it just didn't, like... It, it didn't translate like that to like that's yeah nobody knows that you know what i mean like we didn't have that mm-hmm. like functioning um mm-hmm. marketing strategy that like tied it all together you know what i mean it was just kind of just like a bunch of rad dudes are are on this team you know yeah so fast forward to present day what's a day in the life for anthony korea look like in 2022 man <sighs> um shit I'm, I'm a dad man i have a seven-year-old son Sick. So Congrats. I do I do a, I do a lot of dadding, you know. I've been skating a little bit, not much. There was a good two year period there where I barely skated at all, um, just busy with different stuff. And then, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of dadding, and that's that's kind of the day in the life of a dad. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, it takes up a lot of time, man. Takes up a lot of time, and and it's and you know, you know it's. It's, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Like I, I enjoy spending that time. You know, um, he's getting older. He's like more into the scooter. Hopefully, he'll be into skating. He, he, he's into it. But like, he's always been around it his whole life. So like, he's like mm-hmm. not, not impressed. Um, <laughs> like he's not, like not like I was or when when I was his age. I was like, whoa, like blown away by it. He's like. It's just what you guys do, man. You know what I mean? Like, so this is what my dad does. Man. Yeah, it's it's different for him. But I think later, you know, when he gets more confidence and like, I think another thing is is like being that he's been around it his whole life. Like the bar is set so high. You know what I mean? Yeah. He thinks that he should just be like pro right away at shit. <laughs> and like, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't push him towards any of that stuff. So whatever he wants, he's like into soccer now. So we're like doing soccer stuff. Sick, and the scooter yeah. thing's a hard one. Cause my my little brother is into scooters too, but <coughs> yeah, once they get good at flying around a skate park on a scooter, yeah, I just feel like it's an impossible thing to be like, all right, now try this thing that's way harder, and you won't be able to fly <laughs> around anymore. You gotta like, <laughs> yeah, learn it's the tough, basics. Man. I always tell them, man, it's easy. Like skating, you just bail. Like that thing that you're holding on to is like way harder to get away. Like he got his first shinner the other day, and I was just like, you don't even know, man. Like you don't know <laughs> idea oh. what what you're talking. Like I don't even grow hair on my shins anymore. <laughs> but I mean, I definitely try to skate, and like RB's gotten me out um, a bit lately. He he has a two year old son too, who's awesome, and. Uh, We've been uh, rolling around a little bit, so hopefully keep that up. Hell yeah. It's a squad now, man. So what's next for Anthony Korea? What you got planned? Uh, I don't know, man. The world's such a weird, weird place these days, you know? Um, I've got some things that I'm working on that I'd like to see come to uh, reality in the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of focused on 
you know, my son and uh, whatever comes next creative wise. We shall see, you know. Um, Onwards and upwards, man. Onwards and upwards, for sure, for sure. I mean, you know, more of the same and then, you know, hopefully more more skating, a little more skating just because it's like, uh, yeah. it's just like, it's like medicine, you know what I mean? <laughs> for sure. I mean, can we talk about Fred's part that just came out for a second? Because that was like a highlight of my week. Fred Hell Gold's yeah. part, Thrasher part. Oh. Big legend. Super, super good to see him doing, doing his thing, man. Yo, it's Rapid Fire with the Ghost, and this week we brought to you by Chris Brown's go-to truck. You know what it is, it's Venture. So go cop some today from the case at your local skate shop. Nocturnal, Menu, Blue Tile Lounge, Crust Skate Shop, and Venue Skate Shop always got you covered. It's Venture. Quit playing yourself. Alright, favorite skater. I I would say all time fave has got to be Keith Huffnagel. Favorite video. Video days. Favorite video part. I mean, dude, Zared's vicious cycle part. Oh, can't go wrong. Favorite style. Gino and Huff. Which skater had the biggest influence on the and way Kenny. you skate? And Kenny. And th- Kenny. Those three would probably be where I've gotten all of my my influence. I mean, just from the way I look at skating and like, that's what I took. Those are, those are the, the influences that I took in to like skate. Yeah, I think Kenny, Kenny, Gino and Huff kind of represent all the things that I like about skating. Nice. Most talented skateboarder on planet earth. I mean, Zared's up there, dude. He's, he's one of the most talented. Favorite trick. Like a good executed caught kickflip hardest trick for you all right i have two tricks that i battle with like and it's not that they're hard it's like i just get fucked up like so like i there have been plenty of times in my life where i just have like tray flips on lock and have like great tray flips and then like other times in my life where i'm like i just cannot do fucking tray flips regular (laughs) tray flips heel flips too most illegal trick I'm not, I've always been not a fan of like looking like a spaz. So like when you're doing something like, like I'd rather you flip in or flip out than do both. Like more isn't always better. You know what I mean? What's your favorite clip you've ever gotten? There was like these pillars on the west side back in the day. And I like front side flip over it into this bank. In mixtape one, I like. I always liked that clip for oh, some yeah. reason. That was so sick. Just the way it was filmed and like had the '90s yellow, blue, fucking uh, yellow shirt, blue jeans, shit. I don't yeah. know. I just like that clip. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. What's the worst trend you've been a part of? Oh, I mean, dude. I mean, I was a skater in the early '90s, so like the whole goofy boy thing was pretty fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> What's the gnarliest trick you've ever witnessed? Gnarliest thing I've ever seen was when Schaefer fucking almost died doing the loop at Tampa. Holy fuck, that was a fuck. And I was literally like fucking like six or I was like 10 feet away from that shit. Damn. Like that was the most, that was the gnarliest thing I've ever seen in person. What's the last new trick you learned? 
this was a couple years ago. People were doing front nose like inward two seventies out a lot. Oh, you know, like mm, that mm-hmm. trick. I remember Sweet. I was like, I, I was watching a lot of people do those, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I don't think I've ever tried to do that that way. And so I, I learned that. Nice dream job after skating. I don't know, man. I've had a lot of uh, jobs after skating. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would just want to continue to be, you know, part of, you know, just the not. It doesn't have to be skating or just like just the overall what we've created from this thing we call skating. You know, the culture surrounding it and all of it. Um, just always want to, you know, kind of be involved in that. Mm-hmm. Favorite local brand. NJ Skate Shop. Hell yeah. I mean, I have to say, I'm super stoked to see Fred um, doing metal full on now, which is super sick. sick. He's got Brian. Brian Anderson has a guest board, and uh, they got Ben Rayborn on there now. I think that's really cool that they're actually getting an opportunity to do that in a, in a real way. Sick. With some backing behind it. I think it's going to be awesome, man. Anything my friends are doing, like, I'm 100% behind. Um, I love all, all the stuff that Jimmy Garecki's doing, like, well, no matter what it is. Like, I've been uh, a big follower of uh, all the stuff that Jimmy works on. 18 East. Uh, favorite local skater? Brad Gold, man. Sick. Sick. Favorite teammate ever? Like I said, Zoo York, that's... That's my family to still consider my I, all those dudes my family to today. Like it was, uh, it was more than like uh, teammates over there. So I would have to say everybody that rode for Zoo in the time period that I was on are my favorite teammates ever. Sick. Worst teammate ever. <laughs> Worst teammate ever. You know, Harold is uh, could be the best teammate and also could be the worst teammate <laughs> at the same time. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds like it worst company right these days like you know what i really don't like like i'm a big shoe person like i'm super into like i've always been like super into just like sneakers and shoes and just shoe design that karyuma stuff is just i can't <laughs> with that oh, shit. you're ugly worst trend i think the worst trend skateboarding ever had was a uh, skin tight pants, Friggin', like wearing women's pants, like just to get that tightness and then like stretch. Uh, that whole like P- Peter Pants type thing, you know, like Peter <laughs> Pan pants stuff. Like, I, it just doesn't look right when you just have like two sticks skating around. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I feel it, you. It just never has really looked right that way <laughs> worst style you know what I, I'll get more detailed into this question because I'm not going to name one person and just call them out on having the worst style but I do think that there has been a lot of loss of style as skateboarding has grown so like I think that it's less about how you do it for, for kids these days and more about like having to be able to do everything Mm -hmm. that kind of like so anybody who like kind of skates like that last person you want on the sesh i don't fuck i don't know man chip right 
Who is that? I don't know. Some dude that used to announce all the contests and like kind of dark. I don't know. Like I really, honestly, like I don't care. Like I'll skate. I'll skate with anybody, dude. Like as long as you called out Chip Ray, yo. I know. Now I'm gonna get like Chip's done. He's coming for you, bro. Honestly, I never, I never like went skating with Chip Ray. Remember that he would say he would say the most out, outlandish names for tricks um, <laughs> at the contest. So like I guess like I wouldn't want him on the session because he'd be like saying crazy stuff. But like so like someone would I remember this is a very particular moment. But he like somebody had like Benny Hanna the pyramid and he called it like a chicken wing or something. <laughs> and, and like we always brought that up back then. Yeah, does like every town has that man, or every city has that one guy who's on the mic, that doesn't know any of the fucking just tricks. The How does that guy always <laughs> have the mic, man? Well, he's like the older dude, I guess. <laughs> Chicken wow. wing, dude. Well, Anthony, man, thank you for for coming on the show, man. Can't thank you enough for being here, bro. No, I appreciate it, guys. I hope I was entertaining enough. Hell yeah, sure. bro. Legend in the building. Appreciate you, man. Welcome back to the post office brought to you by Dickie Skateboarding. Quality workwear since 1922. From the work site to the streets, nobody keeps you fitted like Dickies. All right, Ghost, who we got up first? You've got mail. All right, first up, we got a voice note from Thibo Carpentier. Let's take a listen. Hi, guys. This is Thibaut and Eli. My son says, saying hi, I got a question for you. <laughs> got a question for you. What is your biggest disappointment in skateboarding? Uh, it can be about um, a part that you've been expecting for a long time and didn't meet up your expectations. Yep. Also, second question. Uh, what is your most pleasant surprise in skateboarding? It might be, I don't know, a demo you went to and someone you uh, you didn't know or didn't expect anything good from him uh, did something crazy. I don't know. You tell me. All right, guys. Love the pod. Bye. All right. Great voice note. <laughs> Grace voice note. What the fuck am I saying? All right. Great voice note. <laughs> Shout out to your son. Eli um, in the building. Yeah. So I'm just going to say this isn't going to be my greatest and worst disappointment or like whatever, because off the top of the head, it's too hard to come up with probably the top one. Mm -hmm. But I'll say a quick one that comes to mind in China, me and Mitch missions so far in Shanghai to find this hubba that looks so perfect that Johnny Tang posted on his Insta and I screenshotted it maybe like a year before I even went. And like, I just couldn't wait to get there, get there. And it's like, doesn't really grind well. There's a chunk in the hubba taken out and a curved in run up. And I didn't even no slide it. Mitch did 50 and 5-0, which was sick. But like, in my, I thought I was going to like switch from 5-0 or something. I didn't even no slide that shit. Went across the world for that fucking bunt. I might get some like flack for this, but... Skating the Paul Rodriguez 1 SB. 
was the greatest disappointment in my life, I, in my skate life. I thought that shoe was going to be the answer to all my problems back when I was a kid, and I remember skating it for the first time and thinking, this thing, it looks really good and cool, but it just ain't the answer. I got to Google that. I can't remember which one that was. That's back when we were skating dunks that weren't SB, so they were like super floppy and thin, which I loved about the the non-SB dunk, and then switching over to the P-Rod one was tough, man. It was like a cinder block. Yo, I loved that shoe. It was a cinder block, and it took a long time to work in, but I had I had a pair of the OG, OG white ones, and once you work those in, they were so fucking good. I felt like I could jump off a 20 stair and not get a heel bruise. Yeah, you know. And then I remember I had these black suede ones, and it was maybe my favorite skate shoe ever. You know, for me, I never have ever wanted to jump off a 20 stair in my life anyway, so. <laughs> that was easy for me. I don't have, I hate the process of working in the shoe. Always have, always will. I need to be able to skate it, like, right out of the box. Um, yeah, what's your most... You pleasant surprise in skateboarding i'll go way back in the day played a game of skate with uh, legend andrew gordon and he did a switch tray on me and i was like oh shit i'd never tried one in my life and i thought like that just seems way too tech for at the time my skill and then i just tried one and it kind of like almost flipped and i was like oh shit and then uh i learned them that day and it's been favorite trick ever since. You get me. Switch trick. I feel like trick is like the easiest pleasant surprise, you know? Like everyone's going to have a trick that they think is hard for them or like not doable and then surprise themselves and do it, man. Yeah. It's funny. It, that one quickly becomes your like signature trick. I remember the first time, not to say this is mine, but I remember the first time I tried back when 8 nose grind back to regs. I thought it was going to be really tough because I suck at front noses. And it's literally easier than a front nose. And I do that all the time. Yeah, I've still never done one. Just a couple tries, bro. Easier. If you struggle with the front nose, I feel like you're not going to want to try it. That's how I was. And it just works way better. I I can front nose, so... But I can't. I suck it back when 80 nose grinds. Hmm. Period. That was a wicked voice note. Good to hear from you and your son, Tebow. All right. Next up, we've got an email from Maurice Crandall. I'm a 44 year old skater and I just moved to a new city. I have a family, a wife, and kids, and I'm also a university professor, but I'm also still a skate rat. I skate four to five times a week, and I can still hold it down decently. I haven't resorted to no complies and bonelesses. I ollie into my tricks. <laughs> my question is this. Damn, that's fucking boss at 44. It gives us hope, man. Yeah, yeah. Fucking almost 10 years left. My question is this. I've tried skating with my guys my age, but most of them either want to only skate transition or just skate curbs. It's not super fun for me. I'm hesitant to try and skate with a younger crew, even though skate-wise, we would probably match up better. Is it just too weird for a middle-aged dude with wife and kids and a career to be skating with young dudes? I definitely don't want to give off any creepy grandpa vibes. When you guys were in your 20s, would you have skated with a dude twice your age that could still shred? Bro, easy answer. Hell yes, man. 
I mean, I get it. Maybe at 44, it starts to feel like the age gap's getting bigger, and I can't speak from that age yet, but I don't care. I If I can still ollie into tricks at 44, I'm skating with whoever's skating. I'm not, like, going to go fucking skate a curb yeah. if I don't need to. 100%. Skate with who you got him in. I remember, like... I think I had just turned 30 and I was skating with uh, our homie Ryan DeRoche. And I remember it went through my head one time that I texted him in the morning and he was probably like in his grade nine science class receiving a text from a 30 year old to go skate. But fuck it, man, is what it is. As you get older, like me and Safe, I've learned this, like you're just busy with all sorts of stuff. Sometimes you get a chance to skate and none of your real homies or homies you've grown up skating with have time at the moment so just get a session with who you can when you can yeah man there's i don't think there's any such thing as creepy grandpa vibes unless you're a creepy dude which i don't think you are so yeah don't worry about people thinking you're a creep i think skating is one of the few things where like age doesn't really matter like as far as your skate crew all right thanks for the email next up we got an email from Marcus P. Salutations, the bun. Thanks for answering my last question. Sorry, Donald, for putting disrespect on your nollie flip. In my defense, it's hard as shit to find D. Jones footy. And the only part I found on YouTube didn't have a single board flip. <laughs> no disrespect, just an observation. Dude, I don't even think that's this possible. Dis- this guy's coming in with disrespect. He, he came here. in, uh, apologized, and then carried on with the disrespect. Do I have a part with no flip tricks? Like, No, there's no way. And is it that hard to find footy? <laughs> I don't know where you're looking, man. Yo, let's keep moving to the next email. No, no, hold on. Anyways, I have another question for you lads. What are your thoughts on people who bring their girls to the skate park or spot? I've seen that chump <laughs> Jagger Eden bring his Instagram model girlfriend to the skate park a few times. He just sits there on her phone and while he does his contest line and crosses his arms when crouching down <laughs> to do every goddamn switch trick. I can't put into words, but it's just off-putting when someone's girl is just there doing nothing. Anyways, thanks for the pod and big load from SD. I think we've Thoughts? spoken about this before. I actually don't have a problem with it anymore, but there's a time and a place for it. Like... Me and Saifa will go to skate parks with our girlfriends if we're like on a trip or a little road trip or something like a little family or girlfriend vibe like you still got to bring your board and get a little session while you can. I mean now I go skate early in the mornings with my son and I bring my wife to try and wrangle him every now and then so I can actually skate a little bit. But yeah time and a place man. If, if you don't like it, then you're entitled to your opinion. I used to hate it, too. Yeah, I used to hate it, too. But, um, you know, you gain some wisdom as you grow older. And uh, I think, like Donald said, time and a place. Like, I'm not bringing... Well, she, I, I finally brought her one time, like two summers ago, to the skate park. Because I never wanted to skate in front of her. And then she came. And she was just so bored. And, like, I ended up being like, yo, can you film this? And then, like, she was just so over it. And now she doesn't even want to come, so it's it's all good. But that's, like, out in the country at my mom's. Like, I don't know any skaters out there. Like, she wanted to go to the beach. 
I wanted to go to the skate park and we had one car and she can't drive so we're going to both together mm-hmm. kind of thing but on the flip side and I don't want to say just girlfriends it could be a girl skater and, and their boyfriend but significant others on a sesh where like you're trying to you got homies trying to film clips and you're in the streets or oh, something no I way. still think that's 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 a that's a no go for sure. Yeah, we're talking about. He's talking about a skate park. It, it bothers him that yeah, that yeah. Uh, homie had his girlfriend at the skate park. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't it, let the skate park bother you, man. Yes. Yeah. There's fucking families and shit. Like my local skate park that I go skate by myself most of the time. Like, you know, if I was worried about people's girlfriends on the sesh, sesh, I wouldn't be able to focus. There's like kids on scooters with two parents. There's girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. Like. It's a fucking skate park. That skate park can be it. goddamn mayhem in the summer. All right. Next up, we've got an email from Huge Ass. <laughs> There's a lot of questions in here, so we're just going to answer them as they go by. All right? Real quick. Hi, Donovan yeah. and Seifa. Congrats on your bunt champ being a complete success. I've got a few questions for you. Have you ever had a skater reach out to you to do an interview? And if so, did you turn them down or end up having them on? I don't think we've turned anyone really down. We do most of the asking, but every once in a while, someone will holler and ask. And yeah, I'd say 99% of the time, we're about it. Mm -hmm. 100%. Next up, have either of you had a skater that you didn't like at all or didn't get why they were so well-liked, but then years later came to appreciate them and their skating? If so, who were they and what made you change your mind? Someone for me who I'm not going to say I didn't like them at all or didn't get while they were so liked, I would just say that I underappreciated them was Carlos Ribeiro. And then I saw him at a demo, I think like, what was that, like five years ago in Toronto. And I actually was so blown away by the skill that this man has and possesses. I We're talking about a demo that literally has like all-time greats are there like shane o'neill p-rod and i couldn't stop watching this guy i was like this guy is literally the best skater in the world and ever since then my my fandom for him has grown and then obviously have him on the pod become boys with them it's uh it's definitely so impressed by that guy in every aspect of life man he is he's a killer i'm gonna go with uh another bunt alum certified legend uh shane heil oh man that's a really good one you know what i'm saying uh i mean i i didn't like dislike him or anything but i was just like all right like it is what it is he does his thing but i wasn't like a fan but now when i see him and ever since he came on the pod like i just love that dude man his his energy and shit it's all genuine and He's such a fucking nice guy. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. He just had so much love that there's no... I don't know. Now when I see something of him, it just gets me hyped just because I, I feel like I know him a bit. And, uh, yeah, he's a real one. Damn. Killer choice. Next question. Do you have any future plans for your Patreon, like giveaways, bonus content, etc.? Yeah, we owe it to the Patreons to do something big. I know in the past we've given away three boxes per season. I say we got to do like fucking 10 boxes next time, dog. We got to pick 10 winners and just give them all an equal box. What do you think? 
Yeah, I'm down because I think we missed this last off season. So when we do record the bonus uh, voice voicemail uh, episode, we should just do the giveaway at the same time. And yeah, I like that. Maybe maybe ten boxes, Oof. but a little bit smaller because sometimes we make them fat. Yeah, when it was three. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll do more with like the same amount of stuff and all of them. Exactly. I like that. Next question: What's your favorite Ryan Sheckler part, and when is he coming on the podcast? There was a time where I was working diligently on tracking down Ryan Sheckler, and uh, just didn't happen, man. Couldn't get to the man. If anybody out there has the Sheckler connect that's listening, we would obviously love to have Shecks on the pod, man. Um, and his favorite part. I just liked his TV show, man, Life of Ryan. That was the best part of Ryan. <laughs> the only one that's coming to mind right now is his part in um, Almost. Is that round three? Is that what that video is called? I don't know. He's still tiny. I'd like to say a more recent one, but I can't think of one. But yeah, in Almost, he, he snaps. Checks, bro. Remember when he was on the verge of winning a street league? Like he was up there every time. Yeah. That guy just wants to win so bad. He's fucking wicked. All right. Thanks for answering my questions, and I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of the season. Huge ass. Thanks for the email, bro. All right. Next up, we got an email from Scott Valine. Hi, Bunt Gang. Congrats on the new season and the Bunt Jam and everything else you've been up to this summer. Who is the biggest skate nerd you've had on the pod? Or if you don't want to call anyone out, what's the skate nerd trivia fact you can name off the top of your head? I mean, nerd is a term of endearment. If you care about pro skating and you're over the age of 14, you're kind of a nerd. If the answer is me for asking this, that's fair. Um, I'm going to go with Davis Torgerson. Guy knows his skating, knows his, his history and... Loves to call me out on my mistakes. Um, big one last week in the Chris Brown interview. I've been hearing it all week. I know Fred Gall did gap to 50-50. Well, I know this now. No one told me I would have just went along thinking he's the one who did the gap to lip. <laughs> yeah, when you said that, it didn't register. I, I wish I said something, but when you said that, I'm like, wait, how can I not picture what he's talking about if it's that memorable? Mm. But I just fucking was like, ah, it must be me. <clears throat> uh, Dude, I'm actually going to have to go street. ahead and say that that was probably around like 11 o'clock at night. And I'd been up since probably like 4.30 in the morning, probably fighting to stay awake sometimes in these late, late interviews. Obviously, Fred Gall with the non-locked gap to 50-50, most memorable. There you go. All right. In the spirit of uh, correcting mistakes, I'm going to go with the biggest nerd we've had on. I don't know if he actually is the biggest, but he's definitely a skate junkie, skate nerd. Mason Silva. Oh. You know, always knows what's going on. He's also like our unofficial guest provider, like... He's been on point this season texting me like this person wants to come on or this person would be a good interview. So shout out to Mason for that. But I made a mistake, I think, in week one. Perfect. I called out his nollie flips and said they were trash when the homie asked for a nollie flip trick tip. 
But mate, and then a couple days after that, I saw him nolly backside flip a hip on his story, and it was actually so butter. So I was like, oh fuck. If he can do a nollie backside flip like that, he's probably got a clean nollie flip, which he does. It's not like textbook or anything, but it's it's good. It's his nollie heels that are disgusting, so my bad. Sorry, Mason. Jesus. <laughs> All right. Next up, we've got an email from Noah Danker. What's chiggity chillin', home slices? What's your guys' history of working and skating? Between skate shops, judging, the pod, whatever. And do you recommend working for a living in the skate industry or keeping the passion off the clock and dive into other ventures? Keep it crispy, you crazy chancellors. Um, I really haven't done much working in the skate industry at all. It's kind of like the way I like to keep it. But there was a short period of time where me and Saifa both worked at a drift skate shop together. And boy, did we not get very much done. I think we there was a period of time where we would rotate napping in the back room. That was uh, one of the best jobs I ever had for that couple months. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've had a bit more of a history in the skate industry. Love it. If you need me for anything, you know what I'm saying, hit me up. <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, let me go back to the beginning. I did a couple internships at Adrift when it first opened and then would just work there here and there at Kensington. And then when I was in university, uh, worked at the shop for like, I feel like off and on for like a year or two. Good times in the frost area or frost era. A lot of parties you would have to clean up the next morning though. And then I also did skate camps for I think three summers when I was in university which was the worst because I thought it was just going to be skating with kids and skating all day and then you realize it's actually disgustingly hot and you're just babysitting because the kids are like 6 to 12 so like they're not just skating you're like skating maybe I wouldn't even skate by the end of it it was too hot but I was just yeah it was more of a babysitting thing and then yeah I've been judging contests too for I don't even know, six, six, seven years now. And I actually really enjoy that. And then obviously doing the pod. Um, I like working and skating. It makes me happy. But we got to keep them day jobs that pay the bills too, eh? (laughs) That's the problem. Sometimes working at a skate shop, I would like spend more money in the day that I'm making. It's not making any sense. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and then, do we recommend it? I mean, yeah, shit, give it we a don't shot. Know enough about you, but yeah, g- give it a shot. Like, I don't know if if you need to be making the big bucks, maybe not. Like, I feel like for a lot of people working in the skate industry, you're sacrificing potentially making way more money doing whatever else. But it, it's just about finding that balance. Like, how much do you enjoy your job? You know, versus how much are you making? Like. There's some fun-ass jobs in the skate industry, but you're just not going to make crazy money. So yeah. it just depends where you're at in life, if you're just supporting yourself, you know, all that shit. But yeah, I would give it a shot. Might as well try it and know that you don't want to do it. Or maybe you find a dope job and you love it. Then like just always wonder later. All right, next up, we've got an email from Taylor Minear. 
Greetings, Bunt Boys. Shout out to Ants One included. Wanted to say thank you for answering my email back in season 15, the Oski episode. Montreal was a killer time. Your insight helped out, and the locals were more than kind. As mentioned, submitting a switch tray for Safer to evaluate. My question this week. Do you have a trick that feels so good you got to do it every session? If so, do you feel like you're wearing that trick out in footage? Personal example, I can't stop doing front blunts. They feel amazing. Don't know if I'm overdoing it or simply overthinking it. All the best. All right, first up, we'll get Safer's evaluation on your switch tray clip that is in our inbox. You want to take a look? Taylor. Love the switch tray, man. Enough respect. Very respectable. You know what I'm saying? Maybe try and not jump forward as much. That's the only advice. And it wasn't the right angle to see how the front foot catch was or anything. But uh, it's solid, man. It's solid. Keep keep popping them things. It's got some room to grow, though. Yeah, there's always room to grow. Who has, like, for... You, the switch trade general, you started the gang, the originator. If people out there are attempting to learn switch trade, like who should they be watching to model after? Like who is your perfect switch trade coming from? Um, it's really hard to do them like him, but Johnny Layton, mm. like he has a, a crazy setup that just looks so perfect for going high speed. Like when I go too fast. I, I wobble out with the set, with my ideal setup, so I almost have to like put my feet not where I want them just so I can ride straight going fast. Mm -hmm. And I if I'm trying to, even like at loft, trying to switch tray the six or something, like I tighten my trucks just for that trick. It's really annoying. But if you watch Johnny Layton's foot setup, like you could just go Mach 10 with the way he sets his feet up. So if you can learn them like him, that's a good one. Also, Wade has his feet in a setup where like you could go really fast and not, you know, just how like Appleyard's OG tray flips. Like it just looks like you're about to wobble out when your feet are all like your toes barely hanging on and shit. Mm -hmm. So, but P-Rod is probably just the staple and Shane O'Neill. I mean, there's, fuck, there's so many. Oh, these days, Carl Aikens, like, <laughs> yeah, those are some, those are some good names right there. Wicked. Um, Brian Wenning. Winning, obviously, Stevie. Um, and then your next question. Is there a trick we feel like you're wearing out in footage? I feel like everybody has a trick or two that they feel like maybe they post it in their story too much or it's come up in their parts all the time. But you're definitely overthinking it. Because if you do it good and proper, that is what people want to see in footage. So it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, so like... The key thing here is in footage because for me, I feel like I wear out. Uh, what would be the anytime, tricks? For me, like switch pop shove and switch pop shove variations. But the funny thing is, like, in my last I part, would never I say that about it. you. I would not say that I, those are the ones. Yeah, so yeah, the funny part is, like, in my last part, which was. I don't even know how many years ago now. I don't even have a switch pop shove. Mm -hmm. So it's it's all in my own head for the most part. Because if if we're talking footage, if we're talking on the everyday sesh and your friends, like what trick do your friends think you do too much? Like that doesn't really matter because they don't care. <laughs> you know, that's just like in your own head. Like, oh, my friends don't want to see me do this again. It's like, I love every time I see Donald do a back 180 nose grind to regs. 
you know like yeah so let's for uh, to prove a point here let's you say the tricks that you think you do too much and then i'll tell you the ones that i would have thought you would have said say like two or three okay let's start with um switch back nose grind which i haven't even been doing those these days uh I don't really flip my board anymore. Switch back nose grind, switch pop shove, and um, fakey five zero maybe or switch front five zero. I don't know. I could see switch front five zero baby. For for you, I would say switch nose manny, but that's like a warm up one. But like you do that on everything all the time. Um, switch crook is one that you do a lot, but like, I'm not saying I love seeing you do them and then switch back tail. Those would be the three that I thought you would have said. So do you see oh, it's yeah, in your yeah. head? Like, what do you think for me? Yeah. What do you think they're the tricks that I would do that you think I would say? I think you might say, well, you already, we already know back 180 nose grind cause you already said it. Yeah. So that one's in my try and think of. Yeah, let me try. Wait, no, you go first, and then I'll say what I think. Okay. Yeah, so definitely back when A nose grind to regs. Maybe like switch nose grind revert. Um, <laughs> that one, like, I can't even bring myself to try it sometimes because I just think everyone's like, fuck, he's doing it again. Uh, fakey shove switch <laughs> Manny for sure. And then maybe a flat ground trick, like. Yeah, nollie flip probably or like something like that. Those four. Okay, so um, I thought you would have said, and this is again like I don't think you do these too much. Switch nose grind revert. It's funny because that didn't even cross my mind. Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> and it's that's the same. You reacting like that is how I reacted to you not even having switch shove on my list. Like every time I just think uh, switch of nose grinder, switch of front five or switch of Manny. Anyways, uh, I, Smith grind, I was going to say. Um, uh, Smith grind, switch flip. And shit, I don't know. That's it. You already said a fakey shove Manny. That, that's that's one, one that you, you oh, love. So. Yeah, that's one where we're on the same page. Yeah. See, so Taylor, man, I but, think you're good. Keep doing those front blunts. Keep pimping them out, man. Yeah. See, it's all in it's all in your own head. And I only said fakey shove, Manny. I wasn't in my head either, but you just said it, and then I'm like, oh yeah, you do love doing those. <laughs> but so do I. So does Cody. So does I feel like our crew just did those a lot for whatever reason growing up. Yeah. But oh, last thing on that, like the keyword is is footage, right? So if you're your skating is mostly seen by your close friends, but if you're filming a part for like people outside of your circle, like they don't know about your front blunts, so keep doing them. Like whenever something like this comes up, it's just the best example is Andrew Reynolds. Like at this point, all like we want a frontside flip in every part or multiple. You know, like doesn't matter if it's on something smaller than at his prime. Like it's just such a signature. Love seeing that shit, man keep trumpling it all right last one for the week we've got an email from adam ottenberg 
Hey boys, not a whole lot here. Just wanted to say I'm a huge fan of you guys in the show. I think it was last season D. Jones mentioned he was an electrical apprentice and just wanted to shout him out on that. I'm also an electrician, residential mostly, and had my first pro model for Bacon Skateboards come out this April. My part came out on Thrasher if you guys want to search my name and peep it. Hell yeah. Anyways, thanks for putting out such quality content, and I guess I'll try to throw a question in as well. In your opinion, who has the most well-rounded part? The first one that comes to mind for me is Louie's part in Bag of Suck. Thanks, Adam. Hmm, I can't remember that part off top. Bag of Suck, the parts that jump out are obviously Jerry's, and for me, Caswell. Well, I think like that is the most well-rounded part is Jerry's. Like when we were doing the video reviews, wasn't that the best yeah. part? Like we graded it as the best part of all time. <laughs> we did, didn't we? That's such a funny statement. <laughs> but yeah, it fucking is, man. We should have made like a graphic to go along with it to post it up. Yeah. Um, I got two skaters that come to mind, and no specific part, but just their parts in general. A shod wear, like any part, because he'll throw in like a big frontside air and like a bowl in the middle of a part, and then he's got everything else. We know that. <clears throat> but one person, like the shod's known as an all-around skater, but another one that might not be known as an all-around skater, but is, is Shane O'Neill, because he's got. He's got parts where, like, I think it's in a Nike video or something. He switched frontside flips uh, in transition, like, so beautifully, like, above the coping. So there's his tranny points, but then he'll, like, 5-0, like, an 18 stair in the middle of his part. Like, I know we usually think of him as, like, a tech god, but, like, he'll fucking switch flip or what do you fucking nollie back heel, uh, Wallenberg giant rail clips and then obviously the best manis and ledge tricks so yeah he he's an all-around god Mm -hmm. i guess you could also like a very well-rounded part um maybe not the techist but like heath mixes like gnar and transition a lot as well and he does some of the like some tech gnar as well for his time period yeah, for sure. Like, that sight unseen part is just fucking, like, perfection. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah, good call. One more. Mark Appleyard in Extremely Sorry. Even though I prefer his sorry and really sorry parts, in Extremely Sorry, he was kind of more all over the place. There's manis. There's big, big rails, big gaps, and then a lot of transition clips in that part as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not get it twisted, man. Jerry Sue, number one rated skate part of all time. Hell yeah. All right, that's going to wrap up the post office for this week. Absolutely popping in the inbox. It's what we love to see. Keep the emails and voice notes coming. Thebuntlive at gmail.com. You know where to send them. Welcome back to The Rundown, the skateboard world source for sports. Brought to you by the one and only... Steam Whistle, Canada's premium pilsner. The only buzz. Donovan Jones, we're talking week four, baby. And we got 
two players I want to talk about. I'm talking Jalen Hurts. They call it the NFC least. I call him the NFC beast. 4-0, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Let's take it over to Pittsburgh now. Ha. Oh, yeah. It's the dawn of a new era. <laughs> Kenny Pickett is in the building. He may have small hands, but he's got big plans for the Steelers. Oh, shit. They lost to the Jets, but next week it's going down. Let's get into it. It's the rundown, baby. I may not ever be back again, but I got in what I needed to get in. <laughs> that is some of the best work you've ever done on this podcast, man. Antoine, give him a round of applause. Holy fuck, I didn't think you had that in you. That was worth the wait. If anybody's still listening, whew, they're happy with I- that, man. I waited to hear Collett's feet go up the stairs before I let loose there. Holy shit. That was fucking incredible. Where did you come up with the small hands, big plans? You had to have heard that somewhere. No, no, that's just, I've seen so many memes. You know the Arthur meme when someone's pissed and there's the fist? I saw someone photoshopped it and they made the hands so tiny. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I'm fucking dying. So... Let's start with the man, the NFC beast, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles. Picking up right where we left off last week. Will the Philadelphia Eagles go 17-0? Bro, I can't believe you have the nerve to even mention 17-0 again (laughs) after disgracing yourself last week. Getting way ahead of yourself with the Bills. I tried to warn you, but no, the Eagles... I believe betting-wise, they're fav- they're going to be favorited the rest of the way, at least right now, the way they're looking. But uh, there's no way, man. It's just football. Anyone can get hurt. Um, if they get to 16-0, we can have this discussion. You know what I'm saying? Or, Dude, in my say, defense, they get the Buffalo Bills should have won. They should have yeah, beat an anomaly. Miami. Insane. There was 91 offensive plays they had. Kicked some field goals, and we're not even worried about it at the end. We're not even worried about it. But you're right. Way ahead of myself. Bill's Mafia. Whew. We're, back in the, we're back in the winning books, though. Big win over the Ravens. But Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, man, besides the Bills, are they their Super Bowl favorites now, right? By the way they look? Does it look any, can you look any better than the way they're looking right now? Yo, I'm so mad at myself. Remember at week one, I was like debating Eagles and Vikings. And yeah. God damn it, I leaned the wrong way. But uh, you know what? The Vikings are three and one, so it's still not even horrible. But I mean, they just don't look that great. They're they're barely winning some dusty ass mm-hmm. games. <clears throat> but yeah, the Eagles are looking like absolute beasts. Um, I could. I feel like it's still early, but. I could see it, man. They're just such a complete team. Their defense is great. The weapons on offense are obviously <clears throat> elite. Um, great O-line. Fucking making Miles Sanders looking like a pro bowler all of a sudden after two um, forgettable years from him. Yeah, fuck. They've got the whole package. If they can stay healthy come playoffs, um, I like their chances in the NFC. You know what they had to do with Miles Sanders? Give him the fucking ball. For two years, he didn't get the ball. 
And now look, flourishing. And I love to see it because we always believed in Miles Sanders over here. With the rise of Kenny Pickett ghost comes the funeral, the career funeral, I should say, of Mitch Trubisky. Ants, I haven't done this in a while, but the man is done. Mitchell Trubisky, former high-end first-round pick, just not getting it done any way, shape, or form. Mike Tomlin came out and said he wanted Kenny Pickett to sit the whole year, and Mitch Trubisky couldn't even give him four whole goddamn weeks. So Kenny Pickett is in. We wanted to see him get in versus the Jets, you know, get a little cushion. Didn't look too good off the hop with that pick. Ended up getting a couple touchdowns. But now the true test begins. Bills, Buccaneers, Dolphins, Eagles, Saints, and Bengals are the next six games for the Steelers. Does Kenny Pickett start his NFL career 0-7? Nah, 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 nah. He's going to pull it out. Maybe he might shock the world and beat the Bills this week. Excuse me? In Buffalo? Oh, shit. In Buffalo? Fuck. There is um, no way. Kenny Pickett's getting put through a table in the parking lot, man. <laughs> nah, but yo, uh, I don't know how long Tua's going to be out. I hope they really let him recover. I could see him snagging one against the Dolphins. And, I mean, they do have a great backup as far as backups go. He's he's definitely high-end. Um Teddy over there, but I could I could see them making it happen. I just wish they still had fucking um, TJ Watt, man. Fucking sucks. Is it seems like the Watt brothers him? always have some sort of nagging injury. Yeah, but man, I couldn't be <clears throat> more excited. Obviously, you know, I I drafted him in our keeper league, hoping he turns into a long term stud. I was so terrified when that report came out in week one that he was gonna ride the bench the whole year. But you made a, a great point when I was worried about it. You're like, nah, man, you can sit on the bench if you're sitting behind someone good that you're actually learning from. But what the fuck is he learning watching Trubisky? You know what I'm saying? So Nothing. let's go pick it. It's a new era. Pittsburgh. Let's get it. But yeah, he could go 0-7, but he won't. <laughs> Speaking of Miami, I feel like we should just touch on it real quick. Head injuries, a very serious thing in the NFL. The NFL has come out and claimed they have fired the independent neurologist who still, I haven't seen a name. Could be fucking anybody. They're just looking to put the blame on somebody. Obviously, Tua shouldn't have gone back into that game last Sunday or two Sundays ago against Buffalo after he looked so woozy. Said it was a back injury. Ends up coming back. They win the game. He didn't look the greatest. Comes out on Thursday night on short rest, playing. He looks okay to start the game. Didn't look like anything serious. And then a terrible case of uh, whiplash smashes his head. Very scary sight there on Thursday night. What can the what can the NFL do to prevent this? Like, it's just such a violent sport, and they do everything they can to protect the quarterbacks. But it seems almost unpreventable. Yeah, but for a start. When someone's wobbling like they just got knocked out in a boxing match, maybe just rule them out for the game. That's an easy one. Don't don't make up some back injury story. But um, it's not like he came back in that game and got hurt. He came he back did. in that game. He got what hurt mean, again. The, the Sunday game? Against the Bills. Yeah, no, against the Bills he came back in. 
Yeah, he came back in, but he didn't get hurt again. Like, he was fine. He finished the game. Oh, oh yeah, but he wasn't fine, though. That's the thing. It's like, he just didn't get thrown down again or whatever. Like, he he clearly had a concussion. I know, but still, if he even if he sat out that game, he would have been cleared to play Thursday night. Like, we know in the NFL, concussions are a one-week thing. It literally has happened for years. As fantasy football guys, we know if the guy gets a concussion, he's more than likely coming back next week. So even if he didn't go back into the Bills game, he was playing in Cincinnati no matter what. Yeah, which, I don't know. They got to come up with something, especially on the short turnaround things. Like, maybe, yeah, I don't know what they can do. It's so tricky. We've heard retired players talking about how they know how to pass the test. If you've had one, you figure out how to pass the test or guys would do bad on their aptitude test on purpose just so that it was easier for them to to pass it during the year if they got a concussion like all kinds of ways around it these guys have short windows to make money and sometimes they're going to sacrifice their own health for their family's long-term you know financial gain so i don't know what the nfl can do but hopefully hopefully we don't see too many more Tua situations because that was hard to watch man and feel feel for him absolutely and I genuinely think he'll miss this weekend. He'll be back next week. That's just how the NFL rolls. Two weeks out, tops. The coach has already come out and said he's doing okay. Like, it's sad and fucked up, but it's just the way it is. Tua will not be out for more than two weeks. Moving right along. For years, we've been hearing this saying, let Russ cook. Let Russ cook. Well, I'll tell you one man that's in the kitchen, and it's... It's in Russell Wilson's former household. It's Geno Smith, baby. He is absolutely cooking. Six touchdowns, only two interceptions. The man was in the shootout of epic proportions in Detroit. 48-45 game. Seahawks versus the Detroit Lions. Is Geno Smith for real? Um, I'm still going to say no. <clears throat> now that we've seen that Denver isn't for real. The week one win against Denver isn't as impressive. Uh, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, it felt like a bigger win that night. But then we're seeing that Denver's actually kind of a flop, a dud. They're saying, let Russ cook. Maybe the man is cooked. Um, and then and then the Lions, fucking, they're letting everyone light them up. And I, I hate to see it because last year they, they were in so many barn burners and always find ways to lose these epic shootouts but at least fantasy wise it's fun for everyone but fucking they're always losing by a field goal here a field goal there you know what i'm saying the vikings last week another three point loss this week it's uh it's tough for the lions and the lions fans but at least it's entertaining through four games jared goff has 11 passing touchdowns and three interceptions the detroit lions have scored 35 points, 36 points, 28, and 45 points. Jared Goff wow. and that offense is working. This week, they were missing all their top weapons outside of TJ Hawkinson. Amon Ross St. Brown was out, and your man DeAndre Swift was out. It did not matter. He was 22 yards short of 400 passing yards on the day. Jared Goff is cooking. The Detroit Lions coaching staff needs to do something to figure out how to get them more wins, man. Because with that many points on the board, being one and three is just not an option. 
Yeah, I guess it's got to come down to the defensive end, man. <clears throat> I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, you'd like it to be a one-way shootout once in a while, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sure the, the fans in Detroit would like that as well. We always talk about who the best quarterbacks are, who the best running backs are, just who the best players in the league are. Who do you think is the worst starting quarterback in the league right now? Damn. There's always a few a few good candidates for that. Hmm. Let me look at the standings real quick. The one that immediately comes to mind is Baker Mayfield and the dusty ass Carolina Panthers. You know what I'm saying? Um, RIP to anyone who drafted DJ Moore with a third round pick. Mandem's amazing. You just, that's one of my things I hate the most as a fan and as a fantasy player when there's just absolutely elite talent just being destroyed by the QB play like remember my first year playing fantasy you helped me draft and you're like yo grab DeAndre Hopkins first round like he's nice mm -hmm. and then he had fucking the, the backup Denver guy who came over what was his name Bro, Brock Osweiler no, the guy who played behind Peyton, e Manning. Uh, Peyton Manning. Was that Brock Osweiler? Yeah, yeah, Brock Osweiler got a big contract and went to the Houston yeah, yeah, Texans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was him. And that fool was just absolute trash. And D-Hop was trash because of it. And seeing DJ Moore just rot away so far this year, it's very sad to see, man. Absolutely. Even Christian McCaffrey can't save Baker Mayfield from himself. I'm going to throw this out there he may not be the worst but he looks downright terrible right now at the quarterback position but still very useful for fantasy Kyler Murray just sometimes it looks like he's never read the playbook or played <laughs> in like a structured NFL system before in my life in years past he's looked great last year especially but he looks absolutely terrible right now he like Sonic the Hedgehog out there just scrambling with no intent to do pretty much anything. Have you seen what should be a high-powered quarterback and high-powered offense look this lost and confused and even the on the bench screaming and yelling at each other with the coaches like I've never seen anything like it before, especially after news coming out about a clause in his contract saying he can't play video games. Like what is it going to take for him to buckle down and get this turned around i don't know man you you hate to think that sometimes these guys just go hard for the contract and then once they get it and that guaranteed money is fucking high um maybe maybe there was a reason that clause was in there but i'd also i mean there's no d hop did rondell moore play this week I think, I think he was he out, out as well. He? So, I don't know. I'm not, not going to pass full judgment on him until those guys are back. But, yeah, it's been a mess over there, man. And uh, they're usually entertaining, but it's not that entertaining when it's just looking this disorganized and scrambled. The second coming of Tom Brady, Cooper Rush, <laughs> was asked by... Cowboy alumni to just get one win out of the three while Dak was out. He's gone out there and gone undefeated. I didn't know this, but you informed me that he also won one game last year. 
He's 4-0 in his NFL career. He doesn't do anything too much, but you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't lose you the game. And the Cowboys have such a good supporting cast that pretty much that's all you need to do. Is it possible that they don't need a quarterback like Dak and Cooper Rush is the perfect fit for this system? And is there a QB controversy like Jerry Jones wants? I don't think so, man. Sometimes sometimes the contracts just are too big to fucking allow that to creep in. I think he's doing a great job and maybe he's a high-end backup, but I don't think he can elevate the team to the next level. You know what I mean? Sometimes sometimes you just need someone to not beat themselves and uh, get you through a few weeks. The win against the Bengals was really impressive. They barely hung on, but they made it pop. And then, you know, Carson Wentz, the defense was going to swarm his dusty ass all day. Yeah. Their defense is so good, right? So, uh, and then what, the Giants last week, Daniel Jones running for his life as well. Uh, hats off to Cooper Rush, but I'm ready for Dak to come back. Let's see, uh, let's see this fucking offense full throttle. We talk a lot about rookie quarterbacks sitting on the bench learning from the veterans, a la Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Kenny Pickett learning everything he knows from Mitchell Trubisky. But in this situation, is it possible that Dak can learn something from Cooper Rush? Yeah, maybe just how to stay a little calmer in the pocket, man. Wait for my guy CD Lamb to get open and deliver that ball on time. I like it. C.D. Lamb has looked better than ever with Cooper Rush at the helm. So a sport we don't talk about very often, and we're not really going to get into the actual sport at all. I mean, shout out the Blue Jays. Looking like they're about to lock up home field advantage in the wild card. Get three playoff games at home against Seattle or the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, It's about time for us to tune in and become baseball fans. But one big thing that's happening in the MLB this year a man named Aaron Judge have you heard of him of course man but he hit his 61st big... home run against us yeah okay okay so the Bronx bomber Aaron Judge very similar to what Lamar Jackson has done it's his contract year he's betting on himself rumors were that he turned down over a quarter of a billion dollar contract this offseason saying he wants to play out the contract and enter free agency Something the Yankees probably aren't too happy about now. Hmm. The record in the American League was 61 home runs in a season. Aaron Judge has gone to tie that. When these home run balls are hit into the stands, it's unlike any sport where they're now the fans' property, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas in football and basketball and hockey, when records are broken, the balls, they stay on the field. Never does a fan really have a chance except for the Mike Evans throwing Tom Brady's ball. So in the National League, when Mark McGuire hit, I think it was 73 home runs and broke the record, a fan caught the ball. Team went to the fan to ask for the ball back. The fan said, all I really want is some merchandise and to meet Mark McGuire, me and my friends to meet Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire declined. He said he didn't want to meet the fan. Wasn't worried about it. The fan ended up getting over $2 million for the baseball. Oh, my God. Let's go. Ended up working out very well for the fan. 
for the 61 homer ball for Aaron Judge. Two fans in Toronto were mere inches away from catching it. Ended up landing in the Blue Jays' bullpen. The Blue Jays' pitching coach gave it to the Yankee. No cost for the ball. If that ball had have landed in this in the stands, there was a standing offer of over two million dollars for that ball. Someone had Holy already shit. bid two million dollars for the ball. The 61 ball was great, ties the home run record. The Yankees have four games left. The potential breaking record home run ball could still be hit in these four games. It's going to be, I think, it. The games are in New York, could be in Texas, one or the other. But someone's going to make a lot of money. If you caught that ball, what would it take to get that ball off of you? Well, if you're talking two mil for the the record tying, I'm going to need... Bro, I'm going to need 3.5. You get me. Are you... So, the plan would be to catch the ball. Hopefully, you don't get into too big of a scrum. And you run right out of the stadium. Oh, or I would yeah, just I'm run out. to the security office is where I would run, actually. I don't want to get out into the open streets, yeah, especially true. not in New York. I'm running to the security office, getting protected, whatever needs to happen. And I think I hold the ball for a day or two just to see what happens, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, Hondo, you let, you let the bidding go up and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You let the people start to go crazy. All of a sudden, it's $5 million. You got to let the dust settle, let the money rise, and that's how you cash out, change your life. Shout out to the two fans in Toronto who just by inches missed out on a multi-million dollar baseball. Yeah, and you should have seen the looks on their faces. They were absolutely sick to their stomach. And right the, so. sh- the shitty thing is the guy who, who got it, I can't remember his name, but he's buddies with Ryan Rossillo, and he interviewed him right after. And like his wife tweeted right when he gave the ball away that she was going to divorce him like jokingly or whatever but he just gave the ball back like he didn't even have like it just would have looked so unprofessional for him to like keep it or whatever but yeah yeah that's he should have thrown it in the stands (laughs) yeah can you imagine that such a bummer when like it just goes down like that all the drama all the excitement and then it's like oh it's just some dude who's gonna just hand it over yeah, Dude, they had should, to like. Uh, sorry. Maybe we should spend a hell of money on tickets and go try and actually no. People are gonna be like punching each other for that ball, man. Dude, if it goes down in New York, it's gonna be fucking ugly. Let me tell you. I mean, any it's gonna be ugly anywhere, but the New Yorkers they don't fuck around. And these balls are tamper proof. They're all like individually labeled, and nobody knows what's on the ball. So when Aaron Judge bats these days, the ump gets special balls just for Aaron Judge. So it's like, it's fucking legit. And if he hits that 62, someone's going to be really, really rich. Real shit, man. Real shit. Good luck. Yep. And be safe, y'all. Yeah. I'd say it's not worth risking your life over, but (laughs) maybe it is. (laughs) All right, y'all. Hopefully the rundown hit a little harder than last week. Safer. The playmaker Benson shut it down in the intro. We'll catch y'all next week. Peace.